Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. We're at the start of a new year. We all get a fresh start with a clean slate just waiting to write our story. And how exciting is it that your 2023 story includes this moment? God has something for you today. He's ready to meet you wherever you are on your journey. Whether you are in the room live, watching online, or later on demand, I know one thing for sure. God wants to take center stage in your story as he births something new in you. And I, for one, can't wait to see what he's up to in your life. Well, and my life for that matter. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. People grow here because God uses the people on our team to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that you can come as you. We're just like you. Regular people on a journey discovering what God has for us each day. And each day saying yes to becoming like Jesus, one step at a time. Which means that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is a good place to figure out what your yes is today and tomorrow and the next day. Slowly becoming like Jesus. We haven't arrived yet, so we can be good company on the journey. Even if you aren't sure the Christian life is a journey you want to be on. This is a good place to ask questions as you look for answers. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, Let's join our service. Camels are also known as ships of the desert. They glide across the deserts of Asia and Africa, carrying people and cargo, much like container vessels cross the sea. They are renowned for their ability to go weeks without water, while their human riders are dying of thirst. Their resilience is legendary. They just plod along, one hoof in front of the other, uh, day after day, week after week, until one day they just collapse without any warning. It's their Achilles heel, or Achilles hoof, if you will. It's their weakness. They can just plod along until they can plod no longer, and then they're just done. They aren't all that dissimilar from humans from that standpoint. We have the same Achilles heel. We keep plodding along in the face of pandemics, cultural upheaval, and personal crises. We rally and keep plodding along. We rally until one day our soul just taps out. Our soul just says, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. As we collapse under the weight of discouragement, depression, or a blankness of soul. None of us want to push our soul to that point. But everything in our culture, everything in this age, the times that we live in keep pushing and pushing and pushing our souls to that point. Though every generation has had its own unique challenges in this regard, the, the madness of our modern life, say the last 30 years, has found us running 100 miles per hour with little to no margin 
the constant connectedness through our phones and other devices has altered the rhythms of our lives. We were close to the breaking point before COVID-19 changed the world. And when it hit, when COVID-19 changed life as we know it, we experienced a shared global trauma and trauma takes a toll. We were suddenly stripped of our normal life and instead we were living in fear of suffering and death with constant uncertainty and no clear view of the future. This extended period of loss, all kinds of loss from great to small, the tension of masks, quarantines and vaccines, school closures, uh, racial and political tensions, it all takes a toll. Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Ed Young wrote this in 2021. Millions have endured a year. Now at the time he wrote this, it was a year. We know now that it's actually much longer, which of course makes it worse. Millions have endured a year of grief, anxiety, isolation, and rolling trauma. Some will recover uneventfully, but for others, the quiet moments after adrenaline fades and normalcy resumes may be unexpectedly punishing. When they finally get a chance to exhale, their breaths may emerge as sighs. People put their heads down and do what they have to do. But suddenly, when there's an opening, all these feelings come up. Laura Van Dernet Lipsky, the founder of the Trauma Insti Stewardship Institute, told me. As hard as the initial trauma is, she said, it's the aftermath that destroys people. What experts tell us is that when trauma hits, we rally. We get her done. We do whatever is required to make it through the trauma, but there is always a price to pay and your soul will pay that price. There it will be a, a, there's a psychological bill that will come due at some point. And to make matters worse, new trauma piles on our old unresolved trauma, magnifying the cost. But for the Christ follower, it doesn't have to be that way. As Christ followers, God imparts resilience to our weary souls. And over the next few weeks, with the help of John Eldridge and his book, Resilient, Restoring Your Weary Soul in These Turbulent Times, we are going to explore just how to tap in to that resilience. Now, before you let denial lead you to believe that none of this applies to you, that you managed the past almost three years pretty well, let me share another perspective for you to consider. At the end of 2020, just nine months into COVID-19, 43% of pastors reported that they were seriously considering walking away from ministry completely. 43%. I think that's tragic. Before COVID-19, that number was about 31%, as I recall, also tra tragic. But think about what that means. The cost of leading a church and navigating all of these things that we've just talked about was made worse for an additional 12% of pastors less than one year into COVID. Now, I don't tell you any of this because your pastors are in this 43%. As pastors, we've been really focused on leading our church from the top down in a life-sustaining way. For me, 
what is scarier about this number is that if the people who are supposed to be the most spiritually mature and connected with Jesus in their deepest places, if they can't seem to figure it out, what does that say about everyone else? And more personally, what does that say about you? I do want to congratulate you on one thing. You're here. You haven't given up. Around 60% of churchgoers nationwide have just de-churched in the past three years. They've fallen away. The toll was too great and they didn't have the resilience or relationship with Jesus to withstand the cost. And let's be honest, it's not like church attendance was great before COVID. Daniel chapter 7 verse 25 says this. He that is Satan, the enemy of our souls, the one who seeks to stop the work of Christ in you and through you, he will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. The Amplified Bible puts it this way, Satan shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Jesus knew that we would experience times like this, so he gave us a warning along with some compassionate hope. Let's start in the Gospel of Luke chapter 21. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to follow along, uh, whether they're old school or on your device. Of course, we'll have it on the screens as well. In this passage, Jesus has been teaching about the trials of a time like this. Then he gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. When you see all of these signs of the end of times, many of the things that we've been talking about and experiencing. Uh, skip down to verse 34 if you're following along in your Bible or on your device. Uh, when you see these things... Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled or don't let your heart be weighed down by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Don't let your hearts be weighed down. Which also means there is a way to not be weighed down. Watch out. In verse 36, keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Pray for the strength. Ask God for the strength. The word for strength in the original Greek is only used three times in the New Testament, all three by Jesus. It is katasquo. Kataskuo, it means to prevail against, to overcome, to win. It is strength that is victorious. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus renames Simon the disciple when he says this, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, Jesus is talking about his church, and the powers of hell, the gates of hell, will not conquer it. It will not overcome it, will not catascuo it. 
It is a combative strength. Jesus understands that we are in a fight for the steadfastness of our souls. And all of his minions are trying to wear us down. They're trying to overcome our souls. But Jesus wants to impart to us or imbue us with resilience. A supernatural strength to not just survive. To not just make it through by the skin of your teeth. But to overcome. To be victorious. To thrive. Now this kind of strength is given. It's the kind of strength the psalmist is referring to when he says God is the strength of my heart. It's the same strength that the Apostle Paul is referring to when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is a supernatural resilience that is imparted to us, which simply means it doesn't come from us. It is given to us. In Matthew, Jesus gives us another story that we should pay attention to. This is one of his most famous discourses, the Olivet Discourse. And I guess it is the same one that we just saw in Luke, just from a different perspective. Uh, But uh, Jesus has spent, once again, Matthew chapter 24, talking about the signs of the end times. Wars, rumors of wars, hatred, the loss of heart. And then we get to Matthew chapter 25, and Jesus tells this story. Then the kingdom of heaven, meaning at this end of times that he's been talking about, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. Now, if you're like me, this story seems a little odd and it feels weird to me that people are left out of the kingdom of God, that they missed the feast because they ran out of olive oil. Like, what does that mean? Well, throughout the Old and New Testaments, olive oil represents the presence of God. So they would anoint the priest with olive oil. They would anoint a new king with olive oil. Jesus himself is the anointed one, which is what Messiah means. Because they are all anointed with the spirit of the living God. So this story, that the parable of ten bridesmaids, is a story about people who are intentional about their reserves of the strength of God and those who are not. And what I think Jesus was trying to communicate after telling them all about these negative things that will happen as time races to an end is that there will be two groups of people. 
Those who are intentional and strategic about their walk with God and those who are careless. They are casual about developing that relationship and then they just peter out and fall away. They've pushed their souls to the edge and because they haven't built any resilience, the weight of where we are as a culture overwhelms them. It's not a place you want to be. You don't want to run out of God, run out of his strength to get to the point where you just don't care anymore, where apathy takes over your spiritual journey. Our hearts long for life to be good again. Since the fall of man, when everything that God made was good was broken because of sin, our souls have longed for Eden. How many times have you longed for Jesus to return so that we could escape the weight of this world and enjoy eternity with him? I, most of the time, I guess, we, we really aren't aware of this longing. When life is plugging away and everything seems to be running smoothly in our little worlds, it just runs under the surface until things get hard. We hit a time of testing or find ourselves walking through a deep, dark valley and we long for life to be good. As John Eldridge says in his book, how we shepherd this longing, so crucial to our identity and the true life of our heart, how we listen to it, but also guide it in right or wrong directions, this determines our fate. We have a fundamental craving for a good life, a life where we can create and aspire and plan and take hold of things as we enjoy them. God has given us these desires, which Eldridge calls the primal drive for life. The longing for life to be good again is the cry of this primal drive for life. And our primal drive for life has been under assault for a long time, really, not just the past three years, but for much longer. How many of us have longed for life to return to normal? Meaning like it was pre-pandemic. But let's be honest, it wasn't that great on the soul before COVID-19 either. Life has been draining for a long time. Satan has been trying to wear out the saints for a long time. What these last three years have revealed are the cracks in our character that we were able to mask in our pre-COVID normal life. It's exacerbated our fear, our need for control, our chronic disappointment. But they were all there before 2020, just waiting to bubble to the surface. But think about what happened as soon as the quarantines ended and life opened up again. We flocked to restaurants, concerts, movies, vacations. We rushed back to whatever we could make of normal, thinking that we were going to pick up where we left off. Allowing the primal drive of life to mask once again what we really need, what our souls are really longing for. The primal drive for life allows us to accomplish some great things, to power through some really hard things. And on the surface, it seems like everything is okay. It looks like we are resilient. And in some sense we are, but it's easy for that resilience to just poof, be gone in a moment. As I think about the last three years in my life, I spent two and a half of them exhausted. It didn't matter how much sleep I got, I was always tired, which eventually led me to figure out that I needed to do something different. I had resilience, 
But what I was lacking was reserves. And I instinctively knew that if I didn't figure it out, I would collapse like a camel. Now, I know that this is really oversimplified, but this is how I've come to think about it. In our everyday living, each day requires or costs something from us. I live in the same world you do. So people need something from us at work. Your family needs something from you at home. You have your own concerns and worries. That's not to say that any or all of that is bad. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But there is a physical, emotional, and spiritual cost to each day. Does that make sense? To three of you. Great. And each day there is hopefully also a daily investment in each of those areas as well. We wake up and have our quiet time and that puts something in the tank. We go to the gym and that releases some endorphins into the tank. You have some really good quality time with your spouse and that puts something in the tank. There's a win at work, something goes in the tank. And ideally, at the very least, each day balances out. What comes in goes out, and we wake up tomorrow with a tank ready to go. Resilience is our ability to manage life when each day doesn't balance out, to navigate the ups and downs when the, the cost is higher than the investment and vice versa. Think about how the stock market goes up and down. Resilience is successfully riding those up and down waves without crashing. Now, I don't know about you, but pre-COVID, I managed this pretty well most of the time. Riding a roller coaster or two during the year helped me get over the top. But, but life was mostly in balance. Of course, we all know that life is rarely ideal. And everything we've already talked about, the pace of our lives, our unmet expectations, our fractured emotional lives, the constant call to be connected, all of that means that we have more going out each day than coming in. And now we, we regularly have more going out than coming in, meaning that we are borrowing from somewhere to keep something, anything in our tank. So let's call that our reserves. When our tanks get low because the cost is too high, higher than the investment, we borrow from our reserves. And our problem is that we've borrowed and borrowed and borrowed from our reserves until our reserves are reserved out. All of the experts say that we will pay the piper. When you've borrowed past the limits of your reserves, you're going to get repoed at some point. That debt will be repaid. And even more than that is what happens when the next emergency hits. And there will be a next emergency. So where will you get what you need to rally when this next emergency hits? That, of course, is the bad news. But there is good news, too. We can invest in our reserves. Didi and I have an, an investment account. We are big spenders, so we sock away $5 every week. We're, we're never going to get rich on $5 a week. We know that. You can't even buy most of the stocks we've heard of for $5 a share. I, I mean, I think we have 0.0037495 shares of Amazon now. Even still, if we never take anything out, we'll eventually be less poor. 
So coming, coming back to our analogy, on a good day, which we all know are rare nowadays, but on a good day, you might invest more into your tank than the day costs. You might actually get a surplus. You'd think that when, all, when that happens, all of that surplus makes its way back into your reserves. It doesn't. Before anything goes into your reserves, you have to service your reserve debt. And it isn't a one-to-one ratio, uh, meaning that one unit of surplus today doesn't necessarily translate to one unit of reserve. You're still making up for the deficit of yesterday, and the day before that, you're catching up. Now, again, I know I've oversimplified this a little bit. Apart from the presence of the living God, very little makes its way into our reserves. That's just how God designed us. Remember, it's his strength, not our own, that powers those reserves. So whatever makes it to our reserves has to seep in through the presence of the living God. A walk on the beach without the presence of the living God might invest in my current resilience, like I invest in the stock market, which is not much. My life is living proof that an extra hour of sleep doesn't solve anything long-term either. I am in the Word of God every day, but when I am distracted and just check it off my to-do list and don't really experience the presence of God, it really doesn't add much to my day, let alone my reserves. I'd venture to say that Netflix or any other streaming service rarely, if ever, adds anything to our reserves. They just help mask our weariness. But the Christian life isn't about what you do anyway. It's about who you be. And that B must be powered by the presence of the living God in your life in order to make its way into your reserves. Now, don't get me wrong. If you are a Christ follower, you have the presence of God in you. But I think we all know that you can have the presence of God in you and still be living under your own strength and power. And left to our own devices, the primal drive for life is so compelling that we will sacrifice anything and everything for it our health, our marriages, careers, even our faith. We see it happening all around us. Think about it this way. After 400 years of slavery, Moses led around 2 million people or so out of Egypt and into the desert to freedom. And it went well for them for about two and a half minutes. How many times do the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy record them complaining, longing for life to be good again? Good again? (laughs) Again would be a return to slavery. There was no good to have an again. Yet their primal drive for life would have led them back into into slavery, even with the presence of God leading the way. A return to Normal sounded better than freedom. Think about that. They had the presence of God with them, but they didn't experience the presence of God in them. Sound familiar? But here they were for 40 years, eking out an existence in a place where food was scarce, water was even scarcer, a barren wilderness filled with drought and death. Scripture tells the story that this is the battleground for our hearts. This longing for Eden, 
for life to be good again. And how you shepherd this longing will determine whether you have enough oil as we wait for the bridegroom or not. Whether you press in to the presence of God or peace out. The Bible is filled with imagery of water as the source of life. Jesus said he would give us living water from a well that would never run dry. The, the life of God is also described as a river. We actually have a river of life in God himself that too few of us have begun to tap into yet. And he wants to wash over you as he imparts a greater measure of himself to you. The prophet Ezekiel was given several visions. In chapter 47 of his story, he tells us that he saw the temple of God in Jerusalem and flowing from it was the river of life. It flowed through the countryside, getting deeper and wider, wide enough that you couldn't swim across it. Verse 9 says, where the river flows, everything will live. The Apostle John was given a revelation of the future, a time, uh, of, a time to come when the kingdom of God was found on the second earth. And in it, the river of life flowed right through the middle of the city of God. He writes this in Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Now, doesn't this sound amazing? Here's the deal. We don't have to wait until that day to experience the river of life. It's meant to flow out of our inner being into this life. Jesus invited anyone who was thirsty to come to him for a drink. He said that anyone who believes in him would have rivers of living water flowing from within them. So over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to learn how to tap in to that river of life flowing in us. The river of life not only allows us to strengthen our resilience for today, but that's how we're going to refill our reserves that's the only way to refill our reserves. And it's our reserves that make us resilient enough to navigate any storm without going under or without dropping like camels. We're going to start today. We're going to learn a few exercises to help us uh, learn to connect with God in this way. But before we do, let me just suggest a couple of things. First, John Eldridge's book, Resilient, Restoring Your Weary Soul in These Turbulent Times, is an excellent resource. We'll have a few available at the bookstore. They should arrive this week, so they'll be here next weekend. You can also find it anywhere you find books. We are using it to shape our journey together, but there is far more wisdom than we have time to explore here. John's ministry also has an app called One Minute Pause, available in whatever app store you use. The icon looks like this. It is free, and in it you will find a 30 days to resilience journey to help you get started. Each morning and evening, there is around a 10-minute pause to help you figure out what it means to tap into the river of life. It's a guided 
pause. Some, uh, some is better than none, so you could do it like I have and just do one of those each day. That's just the rhythm of my life works that way. And, and if you've never tried connecting with God this way, there are a variety of other shorter pauses that you could start with. Whatever works for your schedule, some is better than none. There is no quick fix. Building our, our time, building our reserves takes time and intention. I mean, if we could all take a three-month sabbatical from life, we might get it done faster. But I don't think that's going to happen. So here we are, drop by drop, building our reserves. And our first step is to return our primal drive for life and our longing for life to be good again to God. We, we come back to Jesus from all the other places we've been chasing life as we allow him to rescue us once again. So in these final moments today, will you pray with me? I am going to slowly pray this prayer over us. As I pray in your spirit, would you just agree with me? Let's pray. Jesus, I come back to you now in my longing for life to be good again. I love you here, Lord, in my soul's longings, desires, and heartaches. I consecrate to you my primal drive for life. I surrender to you my ability to aspire for good things, plan for them, take hold of them, enjoy them, and keep on aspiring. I consecrate all living in me to you, Lord Jesus. I give you my famished craving for life to be good again. I love you here. I love you right here. And now I ask that the river of, of, of your life would flow in me, in my primal drive for life and in my longing for life to be good again. I open my heart and soul to the river of life. Let it flow in me, through me, and all around me, restoring, renewing, and healing me. You alone are the life I see. And I welcome your river into my heart and soul. I receive the river of your life in me. Thank you, God. In your mighty name I pray. Amen. Now, over the course of the next few weeks, we'll explore a number of these practices. They will build upon each other and their strength will grow. For this week... I'd like to encourage you to pray through this prayer each day this week. If you've purchased the book, you'll find it at the end of chapter one, but I've also included it in today's message notes. Trust God to work through your heart as you pray. Trust him to do something new in you. This kind of work goes on beneath the surface, and it will be a while before you really see the difference bubbling up. That's okay. I am living proof that it will bubble up. Thank you for joining us today. 
Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions alone or with others will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Faithful people like you make this ministry possible. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring, who have experienced God's work in and through their own lives and been changed in the process. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. We are simply excited to play a small part as God does His perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives, so keep sowing. And if this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Until we meet again, I am praying that God's richest blessings would overflow in and through your life.